You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you're black or not black. That is okay. This week on the show, reading, talking about, discussing, we won't actually be reading it. It's not an audiobook. Uh, Murder in Montego Bay by Paula Lennon, and I gotta say right off the bat, this is gonna be a minefield. Number one, I have to refrain from trying to do a Jamaican accent. No, nobody benefits when I do a Jamaican accent, which slip, which uh, will slip into the Irish, and that'll be awful. And not only that, well, I don't want to give away what I don't talk about, but yeah, we the, the book is set in Jamaica and written by a person who is Jamaican, but I, I believe lived abroad for a bit, as a lot of Jamaicans do. And so I am not going to disgrace the novel by trying to do a Jamaican accent. So I probably won't read too much from this novel, except for where where uh, the patois is not used. But anytime there's patois, I will not be attempting to to talk about it. But yeah, so I, what we're going to do today, talk about how I came to the book. That'll be quick. That'll be boring. And then a, a plot outline will meet the detective. It is a detective novel, and I love detectives. And then a storytelling plot and um, a discussion of the glossary of terms at the end. All right, let's hop right in here. So how did I come to this book? The Algorithm. Simple as that. Nothing exciting whatsoever. It was on Kindle, got suggested to me. Love a black detective. And yeah, you know, we've read a few now. I believe this one probably came after I read, um, after I read uh, Tara Moody's, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the book right now. It was Deep Fried Murder was the name of it. So this came along. This is a much more serious type novel. I feel like that one is like a, Sunday afternoon cup of tea or beer and just kind of reading and checking out not that this thing isn't the same thing you know it's bubblegum it's fluff it's pulp you know you're supposed to enjoy it but it's a little bit more hard-boiled than deep fried murder you know deep fried murder is very much like a cozy mystery type book it's not a cozy mystery there's real grit in this thing um so yeah a quick plot outline uh, I'm going to read this in my super announcer voice, which is also known as my voice, because uh, I wrote it yesterday and I thought, this nice little, syn- I should get hired to write synopsises. Synopsi. After a night out on the town, two brothers, heirs to an ice cream fortune, are arrested by the police. The arrest of the two wealthy scions goes from fiasco to disaster when one of them is found dead the next morning. Exclamation mark. Yeah, in the name of the ice cream fortune that they are um, inheriting or would inherit is chinchillers chinchillers so yeah this is a wealthy influential family their two sons are arrested one night after drinking and then you know they're already upset because like oh i'm rich how can you arrest me and they're like known throughout the island they're famous their family's famous so it's going to be an issue and the next morning one of them's dead so then it's really an issue but we won't give away too much of the plot. We'll just leave it there. That's That should be enough. And let's meet the detective. Because that's really, you know, when you're reading books about detectives, and this is going to be a series, it says on uh, Kindle that this is Freddy and Harris number one. So let's get into who those people are. All right, so Preddy, he's Jamaican. It is said about him. Her boss, this is referencing, Preddy's a man, but um, this is from the perspective of one of his uh, detectives. 
um, the, either Rubino, Detective Rubino or De- Detective um, Spence, can't remember which one, she says, or she thinks, her boss was a Jamaican's Jamaican and would never give up his patois. So yeah, Preddy speaks patois throughout the novel. There's a lot of patois throughout the novel. So he's Jamaican, uh, he drinks ganja tea, and he's a good family guy. So those are positives about Preddy. And he's divorced and um, married to his work. So kind of some classic detective traits. Some negative detective traits is that he is a police officer and he seems downright stable. You know? Ganja T. I like my detectives. If they're going to be police officers, I like them to be rogue. And I like them to be alcoholics. And so, you know, he drinks ganja tea. It's perfectly legal, so he doesn't do anything illegal. And uh, he's not emotionally damaged. Uh, so, you know, tough for me to like him. But, yeah, he's a, he's a good person, and he seems like a good police officer. He is a little bit rogue, so he has that going for him. But in general, he's like a by-the-book kind of guy. So in that sense, it's a little bit unconventional. You know, uh, I read a lot of detective books, and in, in general, you see detectives who are, well, you see kind of three types, right? You see like an actual private detective, and he can be like um, hard-boiled or like genteel, you know? So you could have like, uh, for hard-boiled, obviously, um, my man Marlowe, and then genteel, you might have Hercule Poirot. And then for um, another type of detective is like the amateur detective and that's like uh mosley's detectives uh in the easy rollins book easy rollins and then a third type is the police officer an actual police officer i mean perot's a retired police but still and an example of that would be like in joe nesbo's recent series the harry hole series well in the first two versions of that the loner and then the um the amateur, they can be good guys because they're not police officers. Like, they don't need to be damaged. Easy's not damaged at all. He's like, you know, I mean, whatever. He's got his problems, but mostly he's damaged from society. He owns real estate. He's like a good businessman and stuff. You know, he's a good guy. He, like, takes care of people in his community. He's like an actual good person. Perot, he used to be a police officer, but he's, like, now just a private detective. So he can really operate, like, kind of like a you know, by cowboy samurai rules, you know, that kind of private detective. And so is Philip Marlowe. They might drink, they might have vices, but they have this like, they have this like moral code that they, that they uphold. The police is trickier because the police in every country suck and they're the enforcers of, of the middle class and uh, they prey on poor people. And in general, they suck. So it's a, it's a tricky thing. And here we have Preddy who is in Jamaica now, the situation in Jamaica, I'm not from there, and I'm not about to be judgmental, because as, um, here's, here's what Paula Lennon writes about Jamaicans who are part of the diaspora, that I'm Jamaican at all, but she says, Jamaican Americans in particular annoyed him, now obviously this is not Paula Lennon writing about herself, but you know, I feel like maybe a little bit, the Jamaican, Jamaican Americans in particular annoyed him, most of them kept quiet about the thousands of violent deaths that took place on the land to which they had pledged their allegiance, But as soon as murder happened in Jamaica, they were all over social media. He had no time for them and would love the freedom to respond to some of the vitriol. I say all that to say maybe the way police are viewed in Jamaica is slightly different since there isn't as much of a black-white dynamic like there is in America or the black-white dynamic is simply different than there is in America. Certainly Jamaica is a multicultural place, but uh, a, a largely black place. So just different. So anyway, for me, Preddy... Not my ideal private detective because he's not a private detective, but not my ideal detective because he's not damaged, he's not private, and he's not an amateur. 
but that's okay. I still enjoyed it. The other detectives I mentioned were Rubino and Spence. They're minor detectives. Preddy's their boss. And then Harris. And Harris is uh, Preddy's rival, even if he doesn't really want to be. But we're not sure if he's supposed to want to be or if he's not trying to be. So they got good tension going throughout the book. He's Scottish. And he's brought in from Scotland. And he's kind of like thrust in this role of observing Preddy and maybe going to usurp his role. And the thing is... That is the racial dynamic in the book where it's like, oh, you brought in a white guy to show us how to do it in Jamaica, but you won't even fund the police correctly. And then you'll point to this white guy and be like, hey, look, do it like him when our tactics are fine. We know our country. We know what local crime is actually like. And we don't need this guy telling us what to do. Not that Harris is necessarily trying to do that, but because it wasn't clear, it created tension. So that's in there throughout the book. And then another note about him being Scottish is just that what you then have is the Jamaican speaking Patois uh, when, you know, to confuse him. And also just, you know, because some of them feel more comfortable speaking Patois. Then you have Harris speaking in the Scottish dialect. He's not speaking Scots, like Scots Gaelic or something, but he's just speaking, well, I guess I should just say a Scot- Scottish accent, but, you know, a little bit of dialect words in there too. And... That makes for some interesting accents in a book. If you get Jamaicans and Scottish in a, a Scottish person in one book, you get a lot of different words in there. But really, it's not that hard to understand at all. Uh, I mean, there's some patois that you're just not going to understand, but it's mostly defined in a lot of its context. And there's a glossary at the end of this book, and we'll get to it at the end of this podcast. Uh, I found the, the concept of the glossary in general to be funny because contextually, you're going to be fine picking up everything that's in the book. And anything you don't understand, Harris doesn't understand either. So it's explained within the text. So uh, just thought it was kind of funny. But okay, all right. So that's the, those are the detectives. And that's really the most important part for me, is the detective. I mean, you know, everything else is in a detective novel is like secondary. What you really care about is the character and uh, whether or not you can identify with him. And then, yeah, you want, you want the story to move along at a decent clip and have enough twists and turns. But I always liked what Raymond Chandler said, which was like, if you ever get bored in the scene, just have somebody walk in with a gun. You know, that's really all you're looking for in detective novels. A funny detective or a charming detective or a detective you can get behind and then enough twists and turns. And if there's not enough twists and turns, have somebody walk in with a gun. But yeah, so the storytelling here, this is told from multiple perspectives, which is tricky because in a detective novel, if one of the perspectives is the killer, then the writer has to be selective about what they can tell you. And that kind of violates your trust then, you know, because like, all right, so let's say you get like six POVs and each chapter, you know, switches with toggles between these six POVs. Well, you get a, 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 a window into what they're thinking, but obviously it can't be everything they're thinking. Otherwise I would give away who the murderer is. So that can be tricky. And that's what's employed here. Uh, but you don't feel like your trust is violated in the end. It's just that you know, there's only so many people who are capable of committing a murder. And basically, we get everybody everybody's POV throughout the novel, unless it's like, you know, minor characters. who, If they would have committed the murder, it wouldn't have made any sense. On the other hand, you know, you could employ the POV thing and then show that, you know, by showing the people who are in POV that they're not one of the murderers. So that could have been possible, except like that, like I said, in this novel, that really would have been like, oh, that person out of complete left field is a murderer. So uh, I don't think it's giving anything away to say that one of the POV characters is the murderer. 
and also that not every single person who has a POV thing has like a full chapter, but you get the POV from most characters in the novel. So that's that's the technique that was employed here. And then the plot, uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was a little slow moving. And it's more like, you know, actually what was interesting, the most compelling part of the novel, maybe why I spent so much time talking about it, was the Harris Pretty storyline. Like that was the tension of the novel. And so, yeah, the actual who killed Carter Chin Ellis is the is the uh, heir's name, right? His brother's name is Lester, and then his mother is Ida, and his father's Terrence, right? So that's the family. And so Carter's the one who dies. Yes, Carter's the one who dies. And Lester was arrested along with him. You know, the whole plot of how that uh, unfolds is interesting, but... I was more interested in Harris and Preddy's like relationship, that dynamic, that whole thing was cool. And I really enjoyed that part. The plot itself and the murder itself, not, not as interesting to me, not to say that they were poorly done or something. It just wasn't like, it didn't feel like the main part of the novel. And at the end of it, what I really wanted to know was how Harris and Preddy got on. So maybe that is better in a sense because then it helps set up the rest of the series like you know like I said the other stuff is just window dressing the only problem with that is it was kind of hard to like Harris I mean he seems like a decent dude and Preddy ended up getting on with him but like you know most of the novels told from Preddy's point of view and it's pretty hard to read it and not feel exactly as Preddy does like they sent this white dude in to like basically tell me how to do my job and kind of steal my job. And uh, this is bullshit and I don't like it. You know, you really identify with Preddy. So I don't know if I forgave Harris all the way by the end of the novel, but I guess I could come around to liking him. It'd just take a little bit of work. You know, now I sound like uh, Rubino in the novel because Rubino and Spence didn't like him at all. I did enjoy their back and forth and stuff. And just in general, their inability to figure out Harris. And it goes, I mean, obviously it goes beyond him being white. There is white people in Jamaica. It's not only that he's white, it's that he's white and from outside of the island. You know. All right, so overall, uh, I, I liked it. I would definitely read another one of these. I like Preddy in general. So I like the characters enough to come back. I wish the plot was a little bit more maybe twisty and turny. Maybe a few more people showing up with the... Uh, with guns in the middle of the scene. Yeah, maybe I'm just like the kind of uh, schlub detective reader who just needs to be sapped over the head a few times to uh, to make a plot work. But I, I did enjoy the characters. So I liked that part. I liked it being set in Jamaica. It's just nice to be reading a book where it's in a setting that, you know, how many books have I read that are set in Jamaica? So that's cool. I want to talk about the glossary now because I did feel like a lot of these terms are either one, like I said, contextually, you can just get it. A lot of these words just didn't, I feel like, needed to be put in a glossary. I'll give you a good example. The second word in the book is aggro. Okay, I think we know what aggro means. Air raid. You know what I mean? Like, we got it. <laughs> We're good. Uh... Here's one I didn't know. Anorak, which is, I guess, means nerd. It also means a waterproof jacket. But I feel like you would get that anyway. And then there's just, like, things in here that are English world stuff. And you're not, the U.S. isn't in the Commonwealth. And that's the thing. It's a glossary of English usage for U.S. readers. Like, come on, man. We're not. I know the U.S. is, like, obsessed with itself. And there's a lot of people who don't know 
things, but like if you don't know what A levels are, there's something wrong with you. And also just Google it. Uh, a Beamer for a BMW. I don't. I guess that's a Commonwealth thing. And there was another one. Oh, there was the term for coke in here. Blow. Bro, everybody knows what the fuck blow is. Like, there's a famous American movie called Blow. You know, every, everybody's got blow. So, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like a lot of words that are, like, not that special that you need to, like, define them. Bloke, biscuit, car park, burger bar. I don't know. I mean, the other thing is I live abroad, and so I guess I hang out with a bunch of... Uh, always going to sound like a jackass when you say it live abroad, but what can you do? I hang out with a lot of people from the Commonwealth, so maybe I'm used to it, but I feel like most U.S. readers will be fine, you know, and if you don't, and any words you wouldn't know would be more like something in the, uh, in the patois that you wouldn't know, not things that you wouldn't know because of, uh, they're like Commonwealth words or whatever, they're like, uh, words that are used in England or something, they'd be fine. But yeah, there may be some patois words you don't know, or like some specific Scots, Scottish slang that you don't know, but these things are all pretty straightforward. So thought the glossary was funny and a little unnecessary, probably being sensitive, but you know, as an American, I tend to be sensitive about these things, especially abroad. You take a good ribbing abroad for being American and hey, hey, we deserve it. So there you go. Last thing about the glossary before I go is I was just reading through it again, just really quickly. And I feel like half of these words were not in the book, but maybe they were. And I just, maybe I just didn't notice. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week. Murder in Montego Bay by Paula Lennon. A fun read couple of cool detectives, Detective Preddy and Detective Harris, with an interesting relationship, ebony and ivory, as it were, set in Jamaica, written with plenty of patois, written with some Scottish slang and just accent, and then um, concerning the the, uh, the murder of a, a, a Jamaican scion. So that's always going to be interesting. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the second book in the series. Definitely will be picking it up. So yeah, you should check it out too. And then you should subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Check out the links down below to look at my, uh, if you want to read some stuff I've written. It's on the, in the, in the uh, show notes. The music is by The Keep Running. That's the intro music and the outro music. Uh, we also got a YouTube page. One of these days, we'll make a video for it. But if you want to go look at an old video, there's some videos up. I do need to make another video for that. And yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. Won't be talking about Greg Egan's Diaspora because he's not black, but a very good book. We'll be talking about something. And without... Uh, Without a plan, it might go ahead. We might go ahead and do distributed blackness. We might get to it. Distributed blackness by Andre Brock Jr. Said it for the last three episodes. I was going to get to it. Can I actually stop reading fiction and do a nonfiction book? Stay tuned to find out. Uh, so tune in in two weeks and find out what will happen. But yeah. So uh, until then. Stay safe, stay black, and keep reading.
That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was, was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs>